First, you must realize that you have no idea before you can know the idea. We scan across all the frequencies if we want to learn anything new. Let us begin. What has physics done for me lately? Furthermore, the equation E is equal we have now acquired a fateful power to alter and to destroy nature. That's like when you're in physics and you get a dream about saying, Oh, this is a physics excursion. What is it all about? The whole of human history all falls in the dust of one stroke of the nail file. You can't really get to grips with evolution unless you realize uh, what an enormous amount of time. Our own planet is only a tiny part of the vast cosmic tapestry, a starry fabric of worlds yet untold. You are tuned into what can only be described as the best radio station on this blue dot we call Earth. It is, of course, for Triple Z. Be it on your conventional wireless radio by tuning into the classic frequency of 102.1 FM, digital devices such as DAB or smart speaker, listening via the Community Radio Plus app or streaming us live from our sensational website at 4ZZZ.org.au. And of course, you can always listen back to us or any 4ZZZ show for that matter using the ingenious on-demand feature also found at that URL. We also now have a weekly podcast of the show for your listening pleasure, a condensed version of the show without the music, which my mum prefers. Just search for our show name, which is, of course, no idea, spelt with a K, your weekly dose of science. And joining me today is just myself at the moment. I'm hoping some other people will join me soon. For those unfamiliar with the show, it is the science show. And we generally start the show with some weird science. Then we move on to some marine science. And then my personal favourite being the motor rap where I talk about motor racing, of course. Basically, any science that has sort of piqued our interest during the week, we'll talk about. And then we round out the show with some space news. It is time for a bit of this. I'll kick it off. Unsatisfied with past estimates... Of our immune system, biologist Ron Sender from the Wiseman Institute of Science set about recalculating three things. How many immune cells exist in the human body, where they reside, and how much they collectively weigh. Sender and his colleague Ron Milo have made somewhat of a name for themselves as cell-counting, number-crunching, and myth-busting biologists. Recently, they have revised estimates for how many bacterial cells reside inside the human body. They have also calculated how often our body cells replenish themselves. Apparently, gut cells are replaced every few days, blood cells every few months, while other cells like neurons can last a lifetime. In this latest study, Sender et al. compiled measurements from past research and analysis of tissue samples to estimate the number of immune cells throughout the human body. Following convention, the authors have relied on the default reference model of the human body, which is a 70-ish kilo adult male between 20 to 30 years of age, which has obvious limitations when extrapolating results to the other sex, weight and age groups. They calculated the human body's immune system to have a mass of around 1.8 trillion 
cells that collectively weigh about 1.2 kilograms, which is weirdly equivalent to what they likened to the weight of one juicy ripe pineapple. They also looked at which organ is the largest reservoir of immune cells in the human body. The gastrointestinal tract is often cited as having the most immune cells, but recent studies have pointed to the lymph nodal system. Lymphocytes, which raise antibodies to neutralize invaders and mount cellular attacks, were found to make up about 40% of immune cells. But because they are among the smallest cells in the body, lymphocytes represent only 15% of the immune system's total mass. Neutrophils, which are produced in the bone marrow and gobble up bacterial intruders, account for another 40% of immune cells and 15% of the system's total mass. Interestingly, the gut comprises only 3% of all immune cells in the human body and only 2% are found in the blood. This means the most significant immunological organs are actually the lymph nodes, bone marrow and spleen. However, the gut is home to the bulk of plasma cells and therefore represents the largest contributor to the body's ability to regulate immunity. Their work has been published, it was published back in October last year, and it's in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences, or PNAS. That's it for my Weird Science this week. We've got one a pre-record from Gabe that we can play back of this. We're going to hear from Gabe. He's going to be talking about flies being catfished. It's riveting, isn't it? It's what riveting, are you looking at? I'm looking at, a, I'm looking at a fly on a flower. It's landed on a little petal thing. There you go. It spends about 20 seconds. It's a fake flower? It is a real it's a, flower. It's a yeah. real flower. Yeah. What's actually happening? It, it's a sort of reddish flower. It's called a South yeah. African daisy. And it's a male fly that you're seeing there buzzing up onto it. It doesn't look that spectacular. It's just no, a fly landing on a flower. But the flower has some weird stuff in the it middle did. of it, it that it's landing like, of. Right. Yeah, a little... How do I describe this? Super glue? Like a little, a little shiny thing. Oh, like a disc. A little, a little shiny thing. A little shiny yeah. thing. I'll show it to Max. I'm showing Max right now if it's playing. Yeah, okay. Yeah, all right. Yeah. Doesn't that look like much, but... Tell us, guys. Tell us, Gabe. Elaborate. ...is what it thinks is a female fly. Oh. Ooh. And as he jiggles uh. around, he is <laughs> treating it as a female fly. He got catfished, uh, basically. He, he, he did. He got catfished by a flower. <laughs> and he, he's trying to mate with it, and it's not working, so he has another go, eventually gives up, buzzes off. But in the process, like you said, is he's stuck around for about 20 seconds and mm. absolutely coated himself in the pollen of that little daisy right. to fly off to the next one and hopefully, for the daisy's sake, spread it around everywhere. It's called a South African daisy um, and it's the only one that's known to make complicated structures that resemble a fly on its petals they didn't really know how though because it's not something that like some daisies have and lots of flowers will like use little spots of uv sort of light or use all sorts of little tricks mm. to try and get insects to land on them nothing's got something this complex though and they figured out how these daisies do it using three sets of genes um, one of the sets of genes, traditionally in a flower, none of it's new. It's all like repurposing stuff to create this fake little f petal thing that looks like a female fly on the top. <laughs> one of those sets, the three sets of genes, moves around iron in the plant. One makes the hairs on its roots grow. And the other set of genes controls where flowers are made. 
uh, on the plant. So what these daisies do is they have repurposed their iron-moving genes and use them to pump iron into their petals, which turn it from that reddish color into a more bluey green, like a fly has. Then they use that second gene set that makes the hairs on their roots, and they use it to pop out little hairs to give this new petal thing, fake female fly texture. <laughs> and then the third set of genes that uses is helping it to randomize the placement of these things so that mm -hmm. so it looks a little different flower to flower and has sort of a unique position sitting on top of it and looks like a fly it looks like a little yeah little little guy brownie blue pellet thing on top of the flower with mm. a bit of hair to it and it works apparently really well to help these flies um well trick the flies into landing on them and spreading their pollen uh and it's how South African daisy because like in South Africa they have these moments of like big blooms mm -hmm. and so it's very it's a, a huge amount of competition between flowers to get pollinators and so this daisy has figured out in a relatively short evolutionary time they think to how to repurpose its genes to create fake female flies and attract male flies into landing on top of them which I thought was pretty weird you that is that is quite strange. That is a bit of weird science. You're listening to four triple Z. I can't cue. Where the? Okay, this is already cooked. <laughs> <laughs> you tuned into four triple Z, and the show is no idea with me, Max. And I've also can welcome into this studio. Good morning, Izzy. Good morning. <laughs> How's it been? It's, we survived the Jizzy episode the last Jizzy week and that awful sting <laughs> that has cemented me not being able to use the computer. <laughs> so, um, we've been going well, Max. How are we going for some weird science here, already? Yeah, let's spin it. You would think that consuming milk as a lactose intolerant person would have some detrimental effects. Of course, it can, and there is research behind it, but the Albert Einstein College of Medicine in the US of A have found that lactase def uh, def deficient people um, can um, have a reduced risk of type 2 diabetes when they consume milk. What? Yeah. Let's break this down. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah. they found that consuming milk was um, found to alter the levels of specific bacterial species in their guts and metabolic molecules, which in turn increased, uh, lowered their risk of developing type 2 diabetes. They found out by looking at the diets, belly bugs, and prevalence of type 2 diabetes in almost 200,000 people, mm -hmm. adding to that those people who were lactose intolerant lowered their risk by close to 30% by drinking cow's juice milk <laughs> so the cow nectar <laughs> ill, ill. um so they found that exclusively in lactase deficient individuals increased milk um intake was found to alter the levels of the specific bacterial species in the gut microbiome and circulating metabolites which was linked to a lower risk the specific genotype of a polymorphism which this tried googling it tried finding a way to break it down it's quite hard it is the rs4988235 mm -hmm. i think i just unlocked someone's phone <laughs> um of the lactase gene determined whether individuals retain lactase expression in adulthood 
Individuals with lactate persistence can easily digest high lactose dairy products like milk in adulthood, whilst lactase non-persistence leads to lactase deficiency and many cases lactose intolerance. So that's just a little bit of the science of if you consume lactase throughout your kind of childhood and then into adulthood, you're more resilient to the high lactose than you are if you don't consume it throughout your childhood. So that's why in countries like Asia where milk products aren't really common mm. there's a high population of lactose intolerant people right. so the colleagues at the Albert Einstein College of Medicine found that the host genotype gut microbiome and blood metabolic levels of up to 12,653 participants from the Hispanic Community Health Study over a follow-up period of six years they found that when assessed on two 24-hour diet dietary recalls where they just had to recall what food they had they increased the milk intake by one serving so from one cup to two cups with an approximate 30 percent decrease risk of developing type 2 diabetes over those six years so the link between milk intake the genotype and the type 2 diabetes risk was also validated in about 167,000 individuals in the UK as well. So this is a massive yeah, study. Fair, this, fair is, this is this is huge. Yeah. And you would think obviously if you are ingesting something that your body is intolerant basically yeah, to, rejects, you would yeah. think it would f- like flare up your gut, but mm. lo and behold, it can actually see specific changes in your blood metabolic levels. You can see it causes like a chain reaction where you basically like the microbiomes in your gut become more resilient and it's so interesting especially not a lot of science behind like we know lactose intolerance exists Mm -hmm. but how does it Mm. yeah (laughs) (laughs) but how does it permeate to like other things like your comorbidities so that's new and really interesting and fun so you know what pull one out for no idea drink a cup of milk today if you're lactose intolerant (laughs) yeah it has a lot of penis facts in his brain just generally that's gonna be another little (laughs) (laughs) another sting for the show show. (laughs) (laughs) all right now the good thing is we may not have max we may not have gay but we do have penis facts triple z we want to appeal to your senses you tune into four triple z and the show is no idea with me max and izzy and it's time for some friendly neighbourhood marine scientist with a master's degree. Take it away, Peter. It might be a lovely day today, but I, your friendly neighbourhood marine scientist, am going to tell you about something foul. Well, I actually think it's pretty cool, but it's called biofouling. Because of the nature of water, a lot of animals in the ocean are sessile, which means that they settle and attach to rocks, sand, coral, or any bit of habitat they can find, really. Usually this is done by animals like oysters, sponges, and barnacles, who rely on the ocean to bring them food in the way of small floating particles filter feeders. But it can also be corals and algae that need to stay in areas of high sunlight or any other environmental niche. These animals usually also have hard outer shells or structures as a form of protection from predators as, you know, they can't run away. And given that these little critters have to be able to hold on in what can be incredibly strong waves and storms, they develop ways of really, really sticking to their spot. But although this sounds like a very specific job, there is a wide variety of organisms that have a wide variety of attachment methods all around the world. And while that's super cool and interesting from an ecosystem level, these sticky sessile friends aren't always super well liked. Because they can miss. For the most part, these things really just look for good conditions and then attach. Even if that thing that they attach to turns out to be floating and moving, like seaweed or 
boats. The accumulation of these organisms on boats and other immersed surfaces is known as biofouling, and marine workers absolutely hate it. Not only is it thought to be aesthetically unappealing, but the fouling increases the roughness of a surface, which in turn increases the drag of the object through the water. Take for example the hull of a boat. Usually slippery and smooth, a boat is able to glide in and across the water. But when covered in barnacles, mussels and algae, the boat just can't move in the same way. The added drag of the crusty shells and whatnot can slow the boat down considerably. And this is especially true for much larger ships, like shipping container ships. These ships can spend a lot of energy compensating for the loss of speed caused by these little sessile creatures. But it's not just efficiency that oceangoers are worried about. Biofouling represents a huge biosecurity risk. Back in the good old days, when little critters in, say, Portugal would attach to something, it would be a rock or the seafloor, and it wasn't that likely to move. The risk of that little critter, you know, attaching to seaweed and moving somewhere and dominating and changing an ecosystem was pretty tiny and a natural part of the global system. But now, more and more critters are attaching themselves to boats. Boats that move all around the world, where these guys are now able to reproduce. Basically what we've done is massively increase the likelihood of invasive species. So it is ecologically important that we control biofouling. But the methods which we do it can do more harm than good. Currently the most common anti-biofouling method is to paint copper-based paints onto hulls. As a heavy metal, copper is extremely toxic to most biota, and so things don't settle or live on the boats. But Copper also leaches into the surrounding waters and sinks down into the sea floor, and it doesn't degrade. The level of copper can grow and grow, and it's common for areas with marinas, ports or shipyards to massively exceed safe levels of heavy metals. And it doesn't just affect settlements on boats, it affects everywhere. These toxic paints are a known issue. In areas like the Baltic Sea, as much as 40% of their heavy metals are coming directly from copper-based anti-fouling paints. The good news is that environmental paints are available. In fact, new research by the Chalmers University of Technology has proven that silicon-based paints are actually more effective than copper-based paints. The study tested various versions of different anti-fouling paints and found that over a period of 12 months, the silicon-based paint performed significantly better than the copper, but also, past the official study period, continued to work for over two years. There's just one problem. Sailors are traditional folk. They like what has worked in the past and they'll continue to work with it. And because of this, eco paints are very slow to take off in the market. Which is why research proving their efficiency is just so important. Because we need these little printers on the seafloor and not on boats. You know, the iPad generation criticisms oh, yeah. there. Gen Alpha. And about, they found that babies and toddlers exposed to television or video viewing may be more likely to exhibit atypical sensory behaviours, yeah. um, like being disengaged, disinterested in activities, seeking mm. more intense stimulation in the environment. A lot of these things that we think of over the airwaves. Uh, we have a small little they base. They get you, Gay. They are coming to get me. <laughs> but no, All those iPad kids. <laughs> I found your lair. <laughs> they want their iPads back. <laughs> Yeah. You tune into 4ZZZ and the show is No Idea with me, Max, and Izzy. And I guess we're going to tell everyone they should subscribe if they want to keep us going. This yeah. radio station, this lovely oh. local radio station. Keeping on top of your New Year's resolutions of supporting community radio. Yes. Yeah. Get on to 4ZZZ.org.au forward slash support. Mm. There are diff different categories for different people. That's don't you right. worry. This and we don't check either. So you can go in any category you want. Yeah, don't, no, yeah. no judgment here. We're no not all no separation. <laughs> no. So get on there. Support community radio. Get that warm in a glow. And Max... Do you know what the monthly 
prize for this month is. Is it karaoke? It is karaoke oh, okay. at the new next to next, next to door. Netherworld. Yeah, yeah. They we were talking about it on Eco Radio. We were doing oh, talking yeah. cane toads, and they've yeah. got a, a cane toad room um, <laughs> <laughs> that you can book. Okay. So it's, you get yeah, yourself it's basically I think, just a big freezer. Is it? Yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> you can get yourself if you subscribe in yeah. the month of January. You can earn yourself. I believe it's a karaoke room for an hour at Netherworld's brand new sister sister project next door. Mm-hmm. Oh, the name is. Saves me, but yeah, they're very cool. Don't yeah. worry if you look up Netherworld, they'll be right there oh, next to you. You want me to find out? Don't yeah, you? yeah, come on, Max. Okay. You got to do some heavy. <laughs> it's uh, at Lost Souls. Lost Souls, sick, very, very cool. Mm. So you know what? Sweeten the deal. Get subscribe. If you subscribe right now, you can run get into the running for that. But also mm. get get that warm inner glow as well. That's right. So you tune into Four Triple Z, and the show it's no idea with me, Max, Andy Z, and it's time. Some of this. Okay, it's time for the best part of the show. Loosely defined as science, yeah, you already know. Everybody listens to you for Triple Z just to hear us talking about what Butters just did. Subscriptions just keep rolling like the tires on a car. But something tells me that our science careers won't go far. But unlike an engine, I won't keep you in suspension. We're all here to hear him talk, so let's give him attention. You're not ready for when he starts rapping. Gonna hand the mic to Max, and I'm not talking Van Staffen. Lights out and away we go. We all know who did that jingle. <laughs> Jay, he's not here. Busy at the ABC at the moment. Yep. It's his birthday week. It is. I uh, baked some goods for him, <laughs> but he didn't come in today. <laughs> we'll have to eat them all easy. So we're doing a giveaway. No. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. It'll last about four days. Oh, okay, geez. Dakar 2024 happened. Mm-hmm. It's finished now. The 12 stages are over for again for another year. For those listening to the show a couple of weeks ago, you may have heard this. I do have a max prediction. Mm. Okay, um, let's hear this. I'm hoping that it will be an Audi victory this year as we send them. There's three Audis in the running. Do you like the reverb? Just sort of like yeah, dream-like Jesus. quality. <laughs> Crunchy. <laughs> Finally, a max prediction to be proud about. Audi did indeed win the ultimate car division. El Matador Carlos Sainz Senior won his fourth Dakar. And this time, he was driving an Audi. He won by a significant margin of one hour and 20 minutes. Vindication that a hybrid solution could actually win the race overall. All three Audis, in fact, managed to finish the race. First, 26th and 30th. And this was the advantage that Sainz had over the rest of the field vying for the podium because the Audi team made sure that they positioned their cars which would see Sainzy start off first, you know, well, in, 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 um, it would start off before them, and then the other twos would follow close behind in case Sainz had a puncture or uh, something more serious, and then they could just rob the parts from the other cars. And it, particularly this was important in stage 10 because uh, Sainzy had three punctures, and the, um, they only carried two spares. So the, uh, luckily one of the uh, Audis following, it just gave him two brand new tyres ready to go. Oh, nice. In case, so, potentially, he could have had, like, how many? Like, four, uh, seven punctures, possibly. I don't Jesus. know. <laughs> if he wanted well to. Well equipped, yeah. <laughs> That's right. 
And Sebastian Loeb, he came third. He looked, he got within ten minutes of uh, Sainzu, but um, his Pro Drive uh, car, what's it called? Pro Drive. I've forgotten what the other bit of it's called. Anyway, <laughs> it's like the three million dollar car I was talking about. Yeah. One stage, and uh, yeah, he, it, it eventually broke one of its uh, oh, of arms on the right front. Um, so uh, yeah, it was game <laughs> over because his teammate had um, exited the race, and so he had no backup plan. Oh no! I oh, know. In the bikes division, Gold Coaster. Toby Price mm-hmm. came home fifth overall. Nice. He was always he was already resigned to the fact that he wouldn't be on the podium because he made some silly mistakes in the first week. Mm-hmm. While fellow Australian rider Daniel Sanders, I call him the Colonel, but they call him Chucky, came home eighth. So two Aussies in the top ten, not too shabby at nice. all. F1, I've got to talk a bit about F1. Mm-hmm. Max Verstappen has won a race already in twenty twenty-four. Yeah, the virtual. Race of Daytona 24 hour. Mm-hmm. His team is called Redline and they're driving a Mercedes GT3 in the GTD class. He won by, I think, a, a, more than a lap. Yep. Better than the rest. And so, yeah, it's pretty cool. Also, he's been interviewed lately about what he sees uh, apart from doing uh, sort of car racing other than F1. Mm-hmm. And he's thinking about doing Le Mans 24 hour because his dad. Yeah. Josh did it back in the day and won it apparently, and that would be fun. He asked, um, he was asked, "Who would your co-driver be?" And he mm. said, "Fernando Alonso would be one." Wow, of them. Yeah. a power duo. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, wow. And then because Alonso's already run it twice, mm. like twenty eighteen, twenty nineteen, something mm, like that, mm. driving a Toyota, and so there's not much um, pull for Alonso to do the race again but when Alonso was asked about Max Verstappen saying he'd be your teammate he said yeah yeah I'd do it Ooh. if Max Verstappen was driving as yeah, a co-driver wow. so a bit of bromance going on <laughs> <laughs> Could you imagine? You, yeah. You've spent so long training for it, and then yeah. Max Verstappen, <laughs> yeah. who, f- if you've like been like in age. a coma for the last year, <laughs> has slaughtered everyone. Everyone, yeah. and then Fernando Alonso, who is very well experienced yes. and has done it twice. Yeah. I would just resign yeah, right now. It. And then when they asked Max Verstappen if he would do the the, the triple crown where you win Mo- Monte Carlo, or mm-hmm. Marco, you win uh, Le Mans, 24-hour, and IndyCar, mm-hmm. 500. Oh, wow. Specific race, yep. right? And he said, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm very impressed. This is Max speaking. I'm very impressed with what they do in IndyCar, but yeah, I'm not going to do it. Looks a bit too dangerous on that. Wow. Oh, at the brickyard, anyway. <laughs> And finally, the Valtteri Bottas and Roman Grosjean report last week was the inaugural rattle gravel bike race. Mm. Happened in Adelaide. His Aussie partner, Tiffany Cromwell, finished sixth in the female long course out of uh, 50 riders, while Valtteri finished 49th in the male long course out of 200 competitors. Tiffany commented, I've spent years racing professionally and the unpaved roads around my hometown of Adelaide are the reason I fell in love with gravel cycling. Mm. So it's more off-road cycling. I was about to say, yeah, gravel cycling s- yeah. sounds like it hurts. It's, yeah, yeah. It would, wow. It hurts the tyres, I reckon. Uh, <laughs> you need the backup team. But, yeah, exactly. Uh, meanwhile, the Phoenix, Roman Grosjean, mm-hmm. has been getting ready in this week, for, uh, for ready for this weekend's twi- uh, Daytona 24-hour. His team qualified 44th in a Lamborghini Hurricane GT3. Mm. Not sure when the actual Lamborghini uh, prototype SC63 is going to be debuted. 
Oh, interesting. I was hoping it would be this weekend, but it must be holding off like a bit like Alpine and stuff, maybe just doing the European races to start off with. Mm. Anyway, everyone, um, we'll just have to wait for another race weekend for its debut, unfortunately. So, yeah, just driving a GT3 ca- car this weekend. Also, the uh, the GT3 car Max was driving in the virtual race. Mm-hmm. You know what it was? Mercedes. Oh, oh wow. Bit of conjecture there. Yeah. Uh-uh. And that it is it for the motor wrap this week. Woo. And we're going to talk a bit about cooking. Australia's first master chef has to have that kind of genius. Understanding the science allows you to think of new things to do. It's still moving. Is that wrong? Only one can cook. Fast passing and No soggy bottom. All of the creative stuff won't work unless you've got an absolute solid foundation. That's so important. God, how majestic that intro is. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit hectic though, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Let's give us some cooking science. All right. So this is from <laughs> I'm gonna read out I'm gonna read out the, the academic journal title first. Yes. So, <laughs> this is from a research article <laughs> called Modeling of Longitudinally Cut Carrot Curling Induced by the Vascular Cylinder Cortex Interface Pressure. What the hell does that mean? <laughs> it means that if you want a nice crispy carrot, you gotta cut it lengthwise. Nice. Not cutting it in half, you gotta cut it lengthwise. Carrot. So this is from the University of Bath in the UK. Um, they found that carrots that curl over time, um, carrots curl over time due to residual stresses from the circular layers they form as they grow. So if you've ever cut up a carrot, you can see those forms. Actually, there's more a lighter center in the middle and then a darker center on the outside, which pulls on them when they're cut lengthwise. And curly floppiness is seen more in your older oxidized carrots. If you've ever left a carrot in the crisper, you know they get a little bit <laughs> feral, yes. a little bit curly, a little little bit floppy which is like the opposite of what you need from a carrot the team said that you should store your carrots in a cold moist and airtight environment if you want to extend the um, life of your crunchy little snacks so when we break down this academic article we can see that the that cutting by cutting them lengthwise Mm -hmm. um it can introduce um the more like more oxygen oxidize them faster if you store your carrots in a cold moist airtight environment um maintains its integrity and cuts down food waste as well how they did this is the part that really got me which was (laughs) they they took a hundred cut lancaster nandane's carrots um which is just like i think it's your average joe carrots um characterized using image processing techniques and used to derive a mathematical model of the elasticity of the carrot after a week right Okay. Um, <laughs> Why? I don't know. I'm trying to comprehend this academic article. This is ignoble stuff. There is in yeah. the in the article that in the title of the article you can have a read it. It's open source, but it there, it comes down to like the literal root pressure mm. of like there's math there's like algorithms assigned yes, okay. to finding out how mm. <laughs> you can keep your Quad- carrots crisp. Equations. They are doing I'm gonna flip my computer around, Max, so you can see the the mapping that they've done for your carrots. 
Oh, that's good, isn't it? Okay. Yeah, it's Color-coded. great. Yeah, Color coded, okay. and it just talks about like the pressure density as well. Yes. <laughs> is that where the red is? Yes, <laughs> that's what the red is. Yeah. <laughs> um, carrots, which are oxidized, exhibited higher decay and stiffness. They found the curvature was evaluated by comparison to a finite element model. Mm-hmm. So they did a bunch of maths, and too long, don't care. Basically, comes down to. Oh my, sorry. They just did. <laughs> there's just photos of carrots like disintegrating <laughs> as I'm trying to scroll through the bottom. <laughs> so carrot halves were observed to bend along their axis when chopped lengthwise, and the bending model detailed in this paper was able to replicate the radius of the curvature um, that t- of the deformed carrots. So they found that essentially you are. Let me find my... There's so many carrot photos. (laughs) Manufacturers, in order to preserve uh, your carrots, mechanical properties should store carrots in cold, moist, and airtight containers. Do not cut them lengthwise, just so you do not put any residual strain on your curls. Uh, Carrots. (laughs) Far out. (laughs) Oh, my God. This article is so incredibly strange. I love food food science so much. This, especially in the humidity, Mm. just keep them in a cool, dry dock environment nice and just yeah. chill <laughs> job done job done easy what is the independent variable that makes no idea tick that's what i want to mm. know you tune into four triple z and the show is no idea with max and izzy mm-hmm. and it's time some of this no idea space news slim the japanese moon lander mm. now has uh, did a soft landing on the moon and now japan becomes the fifth country to land on the moon and once Slim touched down, it quickly went to sleep because its batteries went to 12% capacity. <laughs> Sick. <laughs> and its solar panels weren't pointing in the right direction. Oh, my God. So Jax is hoping that the sunlight will eventually touch the panels and power it up again and hopefully reawaken and continue some of its mission. But it did manage to deploy its two small rovers, Lunar Excursion Vehicle 1 and Number 2. And if Slim can be reawakened, it will attempt to achieve its extra objectives, in mm. inverted commas, including extended operation inquiring science data. Its multi-band camera, the MBC, will assess the composition near Shilai Crater by analysing mm. the spectra of sunlight reflected off its surface. Jack said it will hold a press conference January 25, so that's tomorrow. tomorrow. The event could reveal if the landing achieved its full success according to mission criteria of high-precision landing with an accuracy of 100 metres or better. The agency may also present any images received from SLIM and or its rovers. That's cool. Yeah. The ISS has received some more visitors, mm-hmm. four to be exact. So they'll just be hanging out in the cramped quarters that is the International Space Station. Yeah, nice. The private crew arrived on a board a SpaceX Crew Dragon, and they'll stick around for two weeks doing some science, I guess, <laughs> and basically getting in the way of the real scientists up there. Oh <laughs> but my that's God. all right. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> and this is NASA's way of trying to commercialise the space station in the hope that some company money might flow in before they burn it up in 2030. Mm-hmm. Ingenuity. Did you hear about this? Oh. I thought I would have to be playing a bit of this. <laughs> some sad music. <laughs> I thought I might have to play a funeral march for little Ingenuity. <gasps> no. Mars Mini Chopper went up on its 72nd flight and it took off okay 
and no issues with that. No. But it failed to phone home no. on its way down. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> so everyone started thinking the worst. It's been on the red planet for nearly three Earth years. But good news, Izzy. Yeah. In- in- ingenuity has now phoned home. On Saturday, January 20, communications were re-established between Ingenuity and NASA's Perseverance rover. <gasps> the Ingenuity team has determined the helicopter is power positive okay. and is sitting vertically on the surface. Next steps include running further diagnostic checks, commanding Ingenuity to take photos of its location on the surface and performing a spin test. <laughs> so... I don't know, you're you fairly bullish on it working still, or it's game over? It's ironic that you're playing this, because yeah. I always believe in good Scottish ingenuity, so <laughs> I reckon she's going to come back, I reckon, I can't wait. Yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> and that is it for the Space News this week. Love it. Yeah. Thanks, Max. Anyway, you've been tuned in to 4ZZZ, the show has been No Idea, your weekly dose of science with me, Max, and Izzy, and Izzy, I think it's time to sign out. It is. Thanks, well. Gabe. Thanks, V. Thanks, thanks Jay. Jay. Thanks, Peter. Peter. <laughs> <laughs> Ew. <laughs> Awkward. Well, thank you, Max, yeah. for leading the panel. Yes. And we can't wait to see you all next week. Indeed. Big diff next week. See ya. I'm a goddamn marvel of modern science. science.